Hey everybody, welcome back to Nita Conversations with Ryan and Victoria Cole. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. That's right. We're glad you're here. And before we jump into today's message, which is a continuation on the conversation about passion. What is passion? How do you reignite it in your marriage? We're going to be talking about all of that today. But before we do, we want to encourage you to join our intentional marriage community. You can do that by becoming a partner of any amount, $5 or more per month. Go to moremostforever.com, click that intentional marriage banner, become a partner and jump into our online community. Get your own username and login, weekly devotionals, monthly date ideas, group sessions. And also we are hosting a free event on March the 3rd here in the upstate called the Intentional Marriage Date Night. You can be a part of that as well. Go to moremostforever.com, get all of the details. It's going to be hosted at House of Glory Church in Duncan Moore. It's just going to be a night of marriage enlightenment, a prayer, dessert, coffee, hanging out with other married couples. It's going to be a blast. So become a partner, jump into that intentional marriage community and join us on March the 3rd, among other things. Also, you may be listening to this the week of Valentine's Day. Happy Love Week. Yes. May this not just be an obligatory holiday that you feel like you're uh, almost threatened into participating. Let this be just an overflow of the love that you have for your spouse. And hey, if you're having a challenge in your marriage, you don't have to feel like you're going through the motions. Be honest with one another, but also don't let this day pass by and hold a grudge. Do something small. One little gesture of kindness can go a long way. And hey, if you need help or support, reach out to us, text us. You know, we offer online sessions, in-person sessions. Text us, 864-428-7131. We would be happy to help. This is going to be a good conversation, right? Yeah, we are excited. We're continuing our conversation about passion since it's the month of passion. And we've talked in the previous episode about cultivating passion. And can you cultivate passion? And we found out that we can. And if you missed that episode, be sure to go back and listen to that episode because it's very powerful. It really gives the foundation that you start with in order to actually experience the the passion and the physical that so many people actually yearn to have. You know? Yeah, most people think it comes externally only and it only happens at the beginning of a relationship and they believe that if somehow along the way that passion or those butterflies or that feeling that you had in the beginning wanes, then it must be time for the relationship to end or you must have chosen wrong or there's all this confusion. But you have more power over your own desire than you think you do. So it's about intentionally delighting in one one another. What does that mean? That means studying your spouse, learning about them in every season and not being arrogant about thinking you know all there is to know just because you've been married for however many years. So that conversation about passion is going to extend into the bedroom, right? Because the more you're studying and, and learning about your spouse and the more you're cultivating passion outside of the bedroom, the more it's going to show up in the bedroom with sex. And that's kind of the start of this episode with our marriage strategy of the week. Yeah, I thought this marriage strategy would be kind of nice because, again, we are in the love week. So this week's strategy is to get frisky. Mm. <laughs> 
And I think as, as, as we get married, oftentimes we kind of forget to do those little things that we did before, maybe like that pat on the behind when we pass by or, you know, just whenever you're leaning in for a peck, maybe you grab them and give them a more affectionate kiss, you know. I think we forget those things and we think that, you know, now it's it's just we're too familiar, we're too busy. But doing those little things actually translates in the bedroom as well because it's those little things it's almost like a foreplay throughout the day that you do to kind of build up to that moment of when you actually are together and sleeping in bed and um, having a good time you know this this is the time that uh, these are the moments to really tell your spouse hey I love you I care for you and I still want you and I think you're sexy so doing those little things throughout the day it's just a very simple gesture but it kind of keeps you in check and also tells your spouse that you just really want them and really do find them attractive and do it when you don't feel like it right because you're planting seeds for your future and if we're talking about desire even when you're not quote unquote in the mood you can get in the mood by initiating certain things it's i think it's not as complicated as people make it out to be we wait around on an external force to push us to do a lot of things Well, the same thing is true about going to the gym. Often you wake up, you're like, I don't feel like going today. But after you go, you feel great. You feel invigorated. You feel all of the wonderful chemical releases. And the same is about sex. Even if you don't feel like it, engage and put yourself where you see yourself, where you want to be in the relationship. And if you don't know already, we have written a book all about this topic. It's called Spicy Sex, and it's available right now. You don't have to wait for us to ship it to you, although we can. You can download the ebook right now, maybe incorporate some of our strategies from that book into your Valentine's weekend or just in your marriage as a whole. But SPICY is an acronym that tells us that sex is more than just physical pleasure. And in fact, in order to increase that physical pleasure, You have to start unlocking all of the other aspects of sex, which include a partnership, intentional intimacy, comfort, Mm -hmm. realizing that sex is all of these things and engaging all of those dimensions of it. It's going to increase the spice in your relationship. And it will continue to keep you coming back for more, which is the why and the spicy yearning. And that's what we want. We want to make sure that we are engaged with our spouse, we keep uh, that connection and that we can keep that yearning for one another. And that's how we cultivate that desire. Yes. You can get that at moremostforever.com. Any more to add for this marriage strategy? No, but I like the word that you used, invigorating. Invigorating. Yeah, (laughs) it's a good word too. So get frisky this week, engage with your spouse, even if you don't feel like it, turn on all of those emotions that you have power over and connect. All right, let's jump into this conversation about passion. Last week, we learned that our passions can be cultivated. This week, we're going to go through how you can actually cultivate that passion with your spouse outside of the bedroom and how that will result in more action in the bedroom. So most people focus on the physical when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to passion, And they get disappointed when their physical needs are seemingly not met. But what if you could cultivate the physical connection with your spouse 
by connecting with them at the level of their soul. What is your soul? Your mind, that's your intellect. Your will, that means your your daily decisions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So we're going to be giving you 12 things over the next two episodes that are going to be little tips that you can initiate that will help to refocus your passions through intentional delight in your spouse. The first six we're going to give today, but you want to make sure to come back next week to get the additional six. But let's jump into these 12 things. What is the first thing, Victoria, that you can do to start engaging passion? The first one, of course, is actively listening. We have said this strategy many, many times about how oftentimes we listen to respond and not listen to actually understand your spouse. And you may be doing these 12 steps that we're going to go through, but maybe you're not doing them in an effective manner. Maybe you're saying, well, I have been listening, but are you truly listening to really understand the heart of your spouse? Are you doing the echo strategy that we've said many weeks ago about when your spouse tells you something that you say, well, do I hear you say this and allow them to respond to say, yes, this is correct, your version of what you heard, or no, you are misunderstanding what I'm saying. This is kind of like the wrestling that that takes place. You have to wrestle with these thoughts until you actually understand the context from which they're coming from. Like we've said before, men and women think differently, but also you guys are from different upbringings. So you may have a different understanding of a vocabulary of a specific word. Um, Maybe you got hurt by a specific statement or specific words are triggering to you. And so it's very important to start to kind of learn your spouse and what are some of the things that they respond to and What do they mean when they actually are saying specific statements and specific words? That's right. A lot of us coming come into conversations with our spouse defensively. And it's already a problem if the only time you're talking is to confront issues. We just did a reel on how to confront issues. We talked about it last week too. But every conversation that you have shouldn't be just confronting stuff. There should be conversations that you set aside to say, Let me learn something new about you. What do you think about this passage in the the Bible? What do you think about this going on in the world, in the news? You know, what is your perspective? What What are you into lately? What is some of the music that you're listening to? Getting to know your spouse is the most intimate thing that you could do. Letting letting your spouse into your challenges, your thoughts. If you're having a down day and saying, to them, I'm having a down day. Pray for me. This is this is important for you, so that they don't take it personally and feel like my spouse is angry at me about something. No, maybe they're just having a down moment, or if you've struggled with mental health challenges, that you're communicating that. Hey, I'm feeling low today. I need some space. I need to go for a walk. I need some encouragement. It's okay to ask for that kind of help, and in fact, that opens up intimacy in the relationship. If you think about mind, will, and emotions, what are some thought-provoking questions that you could ask your spouse? And then listen to their response. Don't just go in waiting to insert your opinion. Say, you know, I'm going to surrender to wherever this conversation leads. I'm not going to try to control the narrative. I'm not going to control the flow of the conversation. I just want to curiously take a swim and 
the mind of my spouse. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up about when your spouse communicates to you that, hey, I'm having a down day and not to take it personally, but the number two is empathy, you know, how you can cultivate that that passion and that intimacy is showing empathy towards your spouse. You may not understand what they're going through, but don't get defensive. Don't take it personally. Ask them how you can support them through this. And also make sure that you're being helpful in those moments, meaning that you're praying for them, that you're supporting them in whatever it is that they need support in and not taking it to heart that maybe they're feeling depressed or down because of me. And that's part of cultivating this passion is just being understanding. And again, there are times when I know in our relationship, Ryan may have went through something that I didn't really understand, you know, maybe how to approach it. But I know that prayer always helps. And even just praying over your spouse and verbalizing it to them so that they feel supported in that way really does helps to cultivate that uh, intimacy, even in the challenging times. And let that be the focus of your prayer. God, help me to understand what my spouse is experiencing so that I can bear with them in love. That's what intercession is. It's standing in the gap. It's being a bridge. It's when your spouse feels overwhelmed by the cares of life that you step in and help bear that burden with them and ask them, how can I help? Is there anything I can do to lift the burden off of your plate tomorrow? Make it very immediate. Don't make it ambiguous. Say, I know tomorrow's coming. I'm going to be with you through every step of whatever challenge you're facing at work or with your family. What can I do tomorrow to help support you? And maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just listening. It's as simple as that. But be there and be present. And don't make your spouse feel guilty for expressing what they're going through. Dr. Caroline Leaf says, and we quote her often, that it's freaking out in the love zone to be able to say, honestly, this is what's going through my mind and not feeling condemnation, especially people of faith. We can push our spouse into a space where they don't feel open to tell us because, well, you're not talking in faith. Now, we're not talking about everyday, 24 hours a day language, right? We do have to control our our words and and be more faith-filled and positive with what we're saying. But if we're having a conversation with our spouse, we want to feel open to say, you know what? I've had these thoughts and they're scary. Even to the degree of I've thought about taking my own life or I've thought about you know, harming myself. To be open enough with saying that. I know there's a lot of women who experience postpartum depression and their husbands don't know how to deal with that. It, she's not really looking for a solution often as much as she's looking for your ear to hear and for you to pray and say, I'm there with you and offering them physical uh, and emotional support, listening, and then trying to lift the load however you can around the house and not making them feel bad about those thoughts. It's not about the thoughts that come into your mind. It's what you do with them. That's the most important. We all have negative thoughts, but how, when, when you have those conversations, can we redirect it? Can we get to the root of I'm feeling this way because maybe I need some external support. Maybe I need some uh, quiet time to myself. Whatever it is, you can get to the root of that as long as you're having the honest conversation and not pushing it aside and saying, don't speak that. Don't don't say that. No, let's be honest with it. Then let's rewire it and, and take it back down into our 
subconscious and allow our thoughts to be transformed by the the washing of the word. Let's apply a scripture to that. Let's see who in the Bible has struggled with something similar and see what they did about it. Every character in the Bible had low moments. Elijah. Job. Job. (laughs) And he was a, a man of faith. Yeah. And even his wife, his wife was not supportive. And I mean, I, I don't know if I blame her because she's like, you're a servant of the Lord and all of this has come upon you. And we as human beings, we think, you know, bad things happen. That means God must be punishing us. Right. But God's glory has been revealed even through whatever it is that he was going through. And the enemy did not have a win at the end. And so just standing by your spouse and walking through this process. And again, some of you may be dealing with some really challenging things. Maybe your spouse is going through some really major health issues. And I know it can be frustrating, but your spouse needs your support and they need you to walk them through this process and, you know, open up, open up to them and say, maybe I don't understand what you're going through, but can we get somebody to help you? Let's, you know, schedule an appointment or, you know, let's get a session in to a therapist, those are the things that you can sh- do in order to show your spouse that you care. And even in those times, you'll see your intimacy grow. So it kind of flows into the number three point, which is vulnerability. Yes, I love this that. Is the, this is the time that, you know, we are the most vulnerable, naked and unashamed. You know, we're open before our spouse and we may not be in the best and the greatest light. And we want to be accepted and affirmed and acknowledged. I think. In the same way that we want to be acknowledged and affirmed, we should do the same to our spouse. You know, if we want the same grace extended to us, we also have to extend that grace towards our spouse because there will come a day that maybe you will experience a low point and your spouse will be there to support you. Yeah. And in that, I want you to make sure that whatever your spouse shares with you, that you don't hold it over their heads. The basketball player Shaq had said something and I responded to it on Instagram this week because it was just sad that his perspective about opening up to a woman was that she's always going to throw it back in your face. Whether that's opening up about struggles from your past or what you're feeling, the, the fears that you have, we understand that women's need, their greatest need is security that's shown. And often men feel like that they can't show any cracks in the veneer of their armor. They want to feel like that they've got it all together at all times. But the truth is men are often isolated and have the highest rates of suicide. And that's because they don't feel like that there's anyone that they can talk to. And so if your husband, ladies, does choose to open up, don't allow yourself to think less of him. Actually understand that it's the biggest strength that he can show by telling you the truth of what he's feeling. I know you may feel it in the moment. Okay, he's telling me this. He's never shared this before. I want to freak out right now, but you can't. I I remember going to Brazil on a missions trip, and we were going into one of these remote villages. They live in like a a three-by-three mud hut, some of these. And the translator went in and assessed the situation and said, we need to go in, but I'm telling you right now, you are not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to, to freak out over what you're getting ready to see. And if you feel like that you are, 
you need to go ahead and walk that back down that hill because we need to intervene here and they can't know that that we may be freaking out on the inside right and uh, i know one of the girls in our group had to step away but we walked in and what we saw was a newborn baby with third degree burns all over it and a mom who was fearful that her child was going to be taken or that she was going to be blamed and an accident happened and we showed strength when she was weak we didn't freak out because she was freaking out we showed her empathy and compassion yes it's obviously realistic to feel certain emotions but at that moment we needed to show strength on the other end and respect her as a mother we ended up getting her help medical attention for the baby brought her other kids down for this little performance that we were doing and showed showed her care it was hard to look at that situation and and not feel those emotions rising or not have questions in our mind about her as a mother. But in that moment, she didn't need us to feel that. She needed us to be compassionate and to get, to give her support. And the same thing, I know that's kind of an odd illustration, but with your spouse, if they're opening up to you, it's not your time to question their, their motives or their, their morals. Is that, oh, he's feeling down because maybe he's done something that he's ashamed of. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's that he is feeling overwhelmed and burdened by the weight of the responsibilities that he carries as a man. Maybe it's something at work. Don't jump to conclusions and don't don't freak out that, oh, this husband that you thought was this solid rock is somehow a little bit shaky. No, it actually takes great strength to open up and say, I need help. So give him the help that he needs by showing him love and compassion. Yeah. And then number four is quality time. And I I love how all of these kind of flow in together because it may seem like all of these steps that we have to do, and it's another thing that I have to keep up with, but when it's second nature to you and you don't even have to think about it, you're just an open person. You're empathetic. You're, you know, you open up, you're vulnerable, you express, you know, those things to your spouse and you're also actively listening to what they're saying. And all of that kind of seeps into spending that quality time with that spouse. Yeah. You know, sometimes people think, oh, quality time. Now I have to make this time. I have to set it aside. Now I have to like check it off the list that we went on a date. And we've talked about how, you know, who, who cares about that Friday night date if you don't have those points of contact every single day, Monday through Friday. Again, it doesn't have to be anything grand. But if you are not genuinely caring for that person and not connecting with them on a daily basis, then that date is not going to do you any good. It's really not going to be quality time. It's just going to be time <laughs> that you're just going to check off your list. So just making sure that, you know, you're investing in your spouse and just showing care. And it could be little things like, you know, maybe at the end of the night to unwind, if your spouse likes to watch a show, maybe you sit down and watch a show with them, just being present there. Or maybe that means a conversation. I know some of you, you really yearn to have a conversation with your spouse. And even if you're not a talker, just listening to what they're saying and hearing them out already speaks volumes to a person who is so in need of expressing themselves during that moment. And your body language is a good indicator of how engaged you are. And that what is the difference between time with your spouse and quality time with your spouse. So if you're sitting on the couch, just put your phones over uh, away. And if you're watching something, great. But 
turn your body inwards towards them, hold their hand, share a blanket, you know, show them that I'm with you. We're doing an activity together. We're not just exclusively on our phones and in our own little world. Like we're all guilty of that. Even if you have something on a show, you're both on your phones. You both have something going on. Work feeds into that. No, let's take a moment. Let's huddle up and just share some time together. It's as simple as that. I know sometimes it can feel more complicated. And then sometimes that quality time needs to be like number five, a, a spiritual connection where you're reading something together. We provide devotionals every single week mm-hmm. that you can read. It's a couple pages long. There's some scripture that you can read together. And over the course of the week, if you do that one time, you're investing in the spiritual growth of the relationship and you're pointing it towards Christ and not towards your problems and not towards yourself. We need to be reminded of those things. And praying for one another is vitally important too, to just lay your hands on your spouse and let them know I'm here. And don't feel like that your prayers have to be rehearsed or perfect or pretty. That's the vulnerable part of this as well. To be able to be as real with God as you are when you're alone, but in front of your spouse, I think that's one of the most vulnerable things that you can do, letting them peer in to how real you are with God. Yeah, I got to say, like, for me, I don't know why I felt so ashamed of praying. And I don't know if it was probably because I was intimidated by Ryan, because, of course, he, he was very, like, demonstrative in his prayer he the way he prayed was very like declaring you know the word of god and i think that was a little bit a part of it but maybe i just was just shy about expressing my uh, prayer and but I, I felt like once i started opening up and just actually being more vocal and open and we started having more discussions about scripture and what do you think and then ryan you know when he's prepared for a sermon oftentimes preaches it to me first. And then we kind of have those discussions. This is a great opportunity for you to discover your spouse. You know, we're, we sometimes are arrogant to believe that our spouse is not going to change. They are stuck in their ways. But when you start bringing it to the scriptures and really just like, what do you think about the scripture? You know, or we it's believe a great that they're conversation not, starter. Or we, we believe that they're not as spiritual as they are because they're not doing all the devotionals or making or, the list. Or they don't and look and sound like, your favorite preacher, right? They don't, they, they don't have the language, but they're sincere. They're pursuing holiness. They're, you know, interested about the things of God. Start there, you know? Number six, to initiate passion in the relationship, speak their love language, express their love language to them. We can say this over and over again, and there's been a lot of criticism about the five love languages as well. They say there's more. They say there's more or there's hybrids. I mean, there's so many ways that you can put it, but I think just think of it as simply as it is, right? There are dominant languages that you speak, whether it be acts of service or touch or words of affirmation and so on. And then you have secondary and third, and then also If your spouse is speaking to you in a way that maybe you wouldn't prefer to receive, but you could recognize, hey, they did that. Like my love language isn't really acts of service, but her natural love language is. So when she's doing things for me, I have to open my eyes and say, okay, she did that because she's telling me she loves me, even if that's not my dominant language. 
And then there are nuances to that as well. Like my love language is touch and words of affirmation, but it's, it's strange that there are moments when I'm irritated or agitated or down, or I've got a lot on my plate. I really don't want to be touched. You know, I I don't want to feel sympathy touches, if that makes sense. So it's important that you're consistent in showing that affection, that it doesn't just feel like, oh, you're just seeing that I'm frustrated right now and you want to reach out and touch me. So these conversations about those things make a difference because if I wouldn't communicate that with my wife, then she tries and then she's like, well, he said that's his love language. Maybe he's lying. Well, maybe it's about the moment or maybe it's about the consistency. Talk about those things. That way you can understand your spouse's reactions. Yeah, and Ryan also pointed out, a, he brought a good point too. I remember we had this this conversation and he was saying, I also think that you may, your love language may actually come or stem from your upbringing and that it actually can shift to where maybe it doesn't become your most dominant gift, maybe because you walk through healing and yeah. you confront certain issues and it's no longer your dominant gift. But you are not going to know that if you are not discovering those things about your spouse and growing together with them to see, wow, it has changed. Right. Maybe like five years ago, they responded really well to this, but now they are in a different phase. They're a mom. They're a dad. They have walked through grief and maybe they treasure something different and they no longer respond to that love language anymore. And so that's why it's so important for, important for us to continue to grow together because we can change as individuals over time. Well, this was the first six of 12 ways that you can reignite passion in the relationship. We talked about active listening, empathy, vulnerability, quality time, spiritual connection, and expressing love in their love language. Next week, we're going to go through six more. It's going to really help you. We're going to build these layers. We want to encourage you. We keep saying it, but join our intentional marriage community. Go to moremostforever.com right now. Click that banner, become a partner. There's so many resources. We build upon these messages with devotionals and our once a month group session, closed group session where we can answer some of your questions and we can go a little bit deeper with this revelation and more practical as well. So go to moremostforever.com, become a partner, and you're supporting our ministry and the vision that we have to build a retreat center, acquire land. There's so many things that we have in our heart to accomplish, but we need your support and partnership to do so. So any last words on that before we go into our Q&A? No, I thought this was a good conversation, and uh, you need to join next week for the next six elements. Well, let's go into our question of the day, which is, how do we deal with different parenting styles? I think this is a very common question that couples have because we were all raised differently. Mm -hmm. Some of us were raised with spankings, and some of us were raised with timeouts, and some of us had a a combination of the few uh, of the of both and there may be reasons why you don't want to use spankings as a form of punishment maybe you were abused growing up maybe it triggers something these conversations have to be had hopefully before you get married but so many couples don't have these kinds of conversations but at least before you have your child take the time to say how were you raised what happened when you disobeyed at home And what kind of things do you want to include in our parenting strategy? 
Yeah, and sometimes certain things may fly out the window once you have the baby and you see how cute it is. And, you know, maybe one parent or one spouse will become a little bit more lenient than the other. And that's another dynamic that is going to change your marriage for sure because, you know, that's an everyday thing. Now you have another individual that you're responsible for. And now there's this tug of war of how to raise your kid. My way was right or your way was right. But the way you, I would say that you should approach parenting is, you know, not by saying, well, I was raised like this, so that's what we're going to do. You have to think about your family as a different unit and think about bringing the best of from both sides and just making something of your own, you know, making your own traditions for your kids, thinking of the best ways to approach your child. Because again, when a child is born, they may need a different approach than what you needed as a child because they are their own individual. And we learn that even as our children age, you know, like our kids are five and six and they're hitting different stages five and seven five and seven wow see uh, well and he's going to be our son is going to be six in may so they are just constantly changing and evolving and becoming like little adults themselves because they're processing information and we have to continue to steer them in the right direction and a lot of times we have to get aside from uh, away from them and say hey you know, I feel like we're struggling with this. What do you think our approach should be? And then come to an agreement of how we can approach this and start implementing it. It can be incredibly frustrating at times to try to navigate the different personality types of your kids. And that's sort of the other thing I want to bring into the conversation, which is don't be so arrogant to say, well, this was how I was raised and this was what worked or didn't work. And so this is how I'm going to do it. The fact is, each child has to have an individualized approach. The way that one kid responds to corporal punishment is different than what another kid will. You have kids that are more strong willed. You have kids that are more quiet and submissive. And to be honest, like, that's the dynamic of our children. Our daughter is very strong-willed. And so we have to approach things very differently than our son. And at the same time, just because she shows the most outward expression, uh, often she can get our attention. And even when it comes to discipline, our son, because he's quiet, we have to make sure that we give him equal attention. Although he's more submissive, he's not getting screamed at a lot. That's still a form of attention. And I'm using the word scream very loosely. We do raise our voices at our kids, trust me, but not in, a, in an abusive way. But nevertheless, our son needs to be shown just as much attention, even though he's the more quiet one. So often parenting is relegated just to how you discipline them, but also how do you cultivate their gifts? What are the activities you're going to make room for in your home? How are you going to invest in them spiritually to make sure you're not just offloading their spiritual growth to the church, which sometimes is far and few and in between, like you, they're not always getting what they should at the church. And then also letting them see you model behavior because they don't get what you tell them as much as they get what you show them and being able to swallow the hard truth of what I'm seeing in my child is really a mirror reflection of who I am as well, because they're, they're a part of you. 
and you will see, hey, I hate this part about my kid, but if I'm honest, it's a part of myself that I have not confronted either. So all of those things are a part of the conversation that you need to have. You are not always going to agree, but you're going to have to come to a consensus and one of you is going to have to put your pride down and say, you know, this is not a hill I'm willing to die on. So I'll go with what you say. Don't go around and subvert that in a subtle way with your child. You know, I'm I'm only doing this because your father wants me to do this, but I don't really want to do it, right? That's undermining the authority of the other parent. Whenever you make a decision, it's a united front. No matter if you fully agree with that decision, there are some hills that maybe you choose to die on figuratively where you say, listen, I'm unwilling to budge here. It's a non-negotiable. And if you're struggling to the degree where both of you have non-negotiables that you're not willing to move on, maybe you need to seek some external help. We can help kind of navigate that conversation. Sometimes it comes down to context. Maybe you both agree, but you're just not saying it correctly. So reach out. We can help as well. And any last words on that question? Yeah, I would say the healthiest parenting would be where both of the parents are in partnership. It's yes. not me versus you. This is me partnering together. And again, like Ryan said, there are many times where you will have to compromise and layer pride aside in order to come to an agreement for the betterment of your of your child. So There's no such thing as a good cop and a bad cop. Both of you need to show times when... There's discipline and comfort. There are inherent roles that men and women play in that dynamic, right? Men bring more of the governmental structure to the home, the authoritative voice and the direction of the family. And mothers do nurture more than not, obviously in a physical way, but also emotionally, spiritually. So you have to balance those roles. But that doesn't mean that when a father isn't present, that the mother cannot lay down the law. And that doesn't also mean that the father shouldn't show love, concern, compassion, and so on. But it's learning how to balance those roles. Sometimes, and I've seen reels, you feel like a single parent. That your spouse is not contributing in any form or fashion. They feel like going to work and coming home is enough. If you feel that way, you have to learn how to communicate what you're feeling. And if you don't feel that they are understanding Get a third party involved. Reach out. We can help. Maybe your pastor can help to communicate or mediate. I often point to Matthew chapter 18 when you're dealing with offense or unresolved issues. There's a three-step approach that you can, can use. So go read Matthew 18 and learn how to get into agreement with your spouse because that's where the power is released. And it's not agreeing about just the approach in and of itself, but the execution. Okay, we agree what's going to happen. Who's going to do it? When is it going to take place? There's a lot more uh, layers to it than what we think, but we hope that answered your question of the week. Thank you for joining us for Needed Conversations. Join us next week as we continue this conversation on reigniting the passion. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week.